Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Happy New Year, everyone! And welcome to the Cultaholic Classic Raw Review, first one of 2019, Old Lang Syne and all that nonsense. We are back in our Ica Pro Powered DeLorean. You may be listening to this in 2019 or 2018, depending where you are on the continent. Actually, no, everywhere by this point, 2019. So forget that bit. But either way, we are back in our Ica Pro Powered DeLorean in 1993, where wrestling is not quite as it seems. My name is Tom Campbell, fake Geordie and radio presenter. I am with the bear in the big blue bar cage, who once again in 2019 doesn't need a pencil. He is the best pen that Cultaholic has. And he needs a pen because he gets it right every time. There's Justin Henry over there. How you doing there, Tommy? I'm doing wonderful. This is a lovely time of day to record a podcast, I do believe, at 10 past three British Standard Time on a Sunday. <laughs> it's a treat. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is 10 after 10 on Sunday morning here on the east coast of the U.S. And in six hours, my Philadelphia Eagles are kicking off their game in the hopes of making the playoffs. They have to win and somebody else has to lose. So by the time... This, recording errors either i would be a very happy man if my team made the playoffs by the skin of their teeth or i would be like eh, screw football bring on baseball make a prediction right now i think we just barely get in oh okay so by now you know whether justin henry is a full-on nostradamus or a nostradamus hey 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 look it's not just us two this week because we have we've woken up uh, possibly the youngest person in the history of podcasting ever Ever, ever, ever. Uh, I'd like to welcome uh, from the Cultaholic Discord, Sydney Summerwitz to the show. Sydney, please tell me I got the surname right. You got it right. Yes! <laughs> Ten points to Gryffindor. No, no, no. It's it's Zumawix. Don't listen to her. Shut up, Justin. Zumo. Oh, don't. No, he's don't. wrong. He's oh, wrong. I can't call you. I'll call you Alan from now on. It's easier. So, Alan, you run the Cultaholic Discord. Uh, I'm a moderator on it, uh, along with my brother and a few other people uh, from the UK. But yes, I do. I do moderate it. Slightly. Well, um, I think of, uh, a lot of people of, of my age uh, have a, a really good question to start with, which is, what in the blazes is a Discord? <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's not, not that you don't do a great job with it, it's just that I'm old and I don't know. <laughs> it's like, it, it's basically, do you know what Skype is? Vaguely. Uh, it's, it's basically like that where like 
there's text chats and you can talk to a ton of people and like invite them to servers. And then you, if you want, you can go into a voice chat and you can talk to people in there too. So you're I think it was primarily calls. designed for. I think it was primarily designed for video games for people like like to play games simultaneously. They can chat through that. Yes. But you're not like playing games. You're just having a good old chat about cultaholic based things. Yep, and wrestling. Oh, that's yeah, there you go. Now, because cultaholic is not wrestling. <laughs> it's it's something. It's uh, it's it is the it's something or other. So I can and and you'll have to see. I I realise now because I've spent a week with my dad. Uh, solving all his tech support problems. I now realise I sound like my dad when I'm saying, so can I join a Discord or not? <laughs> you sure can. Yeah, you can. Justin's on it. What do I do? Do I need, a, do I need an internet or something? You need, you need a, like a computer with the program on it or you need uh, the app on your phone. Either one works. Okay. You also have to pass all of the initiation tests, including the paddling of the swollen ass with paddles. <laughs> we did that last week, Justin. Yes, but... Now we have to do it again. Fine. <laughs> yes, it, it renews itself. When, no matter what you join, whether it's a cultaholic discord or the 4-H club. <laughs> or just popping to Tesco for groceries. You have to do it there as well. It's a bit weird, the guy around the corner. So, so, so the reason why I invited Sydney onto this show is because not about a month ago or so, she watched the Survivor Series 1990 pay-per-view and was boggled by the whole thing because mm -hmm. it, it is not an event of her time period. And her being a wrestling fan that is much younger, she sees wrestling as being a lot different than you or I do, Tom. So, Sydney, if you could, could you state your age and how long you've been a fan of wrestling? Okay, so I am currently 19 years old, and I... <laughs> Started watching wrestling uh, SummerSlam 2009, and that was my first ever wrestling pay-per-view. And I watched it on and off for quite a few years, mostly on, and then like I think I took like two years off because I got sick and tired of Roman. Uh, mm -hmm. And now I feel horrible about saying that. But um, oh, that's understandable. Yeah, but um, I. I, I went to a couple live events. Uh, I think I remember I was really young. We went to an arena close to here where they were doing just a WWE live event. And it was like Triple H was there. John Cena was there. My brother remembers it way better than I do. But like all I remember was that it was so loud and you could barely hear the announcer's voice. But yeah, I've basically... 1993 is 100% foreign to me. The only thing mm -hmm. I know is big things. So I only know, like, the the famous stuff. I don't know anything that's kind of obscure. So if we said to you, um, L.A. Gore, <laughs> was that I name don't know. resonate at all? No. no, no. What no. if we said to you, um, Scott Steiner looks like Dave Meltzer? Uh, well, I know who Scott Steiner is. Brilliant. That's a good start. It's a good start. Um, we're going to take you he back does. in the Ica Propowered DeLorean. We've got a special passenger seat for you, Sydney. And we're going to take you back to the, the heady days of 1993. I will warn you that uh, back at this point on Monday Night Raw, they hadn't really got it together yet. Um, they're still figuring out how live television works. And they're still trying to figure out what they want to be. You're going to see a lot of guys 
uh, from the late 80s, mixing it up with a, a very weird hodgepodge of guys from the mid-90s. Some that may resonate, others probably won't. But you are now <laughs> part of the ride, so good luck to you. Yeah. I, I will say to this point, there have been some episodes that have been absolutely tremendous. The Jeanette Doink and the Razor Kid episode is one that comes to mind immediately. And there have been some episodes that are absolute garbage, which include last week's show and the infamous snow episode. So it, it has kind of run the gamut a little bit in these first six months of the show. Okay. And you are joining so now, us for um, – uh, it's, it's a bit of a um, – it's a, it's a page-turner in the sense of – not that it's exciting, but it's more we're beginning <laughs> a, a new chapter in of Monday Night Raw. Yeah. Uh, I thought – I thought it was a decent enough show this week, actually. It was, it was, it set the pace for what is to come, and I think we should jump straight into it. So, Justin Henry, where and when are we uh, this week? It is July 5th, 1993. We are at the Manhattan Center in New York City for Raw episode 24. We are 24 and a half, well, actually 36 hours removed from the Stars and Stripes Challenge on the USS Intrepid in New York City, where something big happened certainly did. We saw Scott Burrell of the Charlotte Hornets attempt to body slam Yokozuna and some other no, things no. happened as well. He didn't He didn't attempt a damn thing. He, he stood up and walked away like he was... <laughs> he was rubbish, wasn't he? He, he? he realized, oh damn, this is for real. So we now have the... This has been weeks and weeks in the hype. Uh, the, the body slam challenge. Who in the world of American athleticism can body slam Yokozuna. Uh, Sydney, was this something that, that resonated with you? Were you aware this was even a thing until you put the episode on? I knew about this. I knew about this. Okay. And uh, I'd like, and, and as, as Justin sort of goes through what happened, I'd like to know what you were, what, what you were thinking as you were watching this all unfold. Uh, well, I was very interested uh, with watching all the people attempt and just like how much it seemed like none of them were even trying and <laughs> it just seemed like it seemed like it was just like I, I thought it was weird it was on a battleship but I mean America so America but... <laughs> that is exactly why it was on a battleship <laughs> because they couldn't get planning permission to do it on top of Mount Rushmore. It was the inspiration <laughs> it was the inspiration for the Chris Daltrey song. Is that what it was? Yes. Ah oh, amazing. I love. I know. So, the one, uh, I know the song you mean as well. That makes me happy. <laughs> so we begin with a, a small musical montage of four attempts, all of which were fails, including Rick Steiner. And then we go to the actual TV intro. We come out, sirens blaring, and, and you know how the camera pans across the crowd to start the show. Well, one of the at one point the camera fixates upon the Ico Pro banner, which I thought was interesting. Like, like, see, if you had just taken this stuff, you could have slammed them much easier. <laughs> a little subliminal message. And Vince says, all the fans here witnessed what happened yesterday. So apparently everyone in the Manhattan Center also attended the uh, USS Intrepid uh, Stars and Drives Challenge. A lot of handheld flags in the crowd. Obviously a fabulous Rougeau Brothers nod. Exactly. I like so then, that. So... Here's the rundown for what happened yesterday morning on the 4th, 4th of July out on the USS Intrepid. We, we have a video package for it. It's uh, The grand prize for slamming Yokozuna is a Chevy Silverado. It just seems is, like uh, a rubbish prize. 
I don't... It's stupid. <laughs> Thank you. It just seems like in in all of wrestling, I feel like you 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 can whenever they whenever they put something on the line like money or a brand new car, it doesn't resonate with me because I want to see wrestlers competing for championship opportunity. I don't care what car like Roman Reigns, you've won the Royal Rumble. Here's your new Vauxhall disappointment. Like I don't care what car Roman Reigns drives unless it is a Vauxhall disappointment, which is my favourite car. Now, what I'm trying to figure out is, who put the car up? Did Yoko buy it and say, I'll give this to the winner? Maybe it's Fink's car. Maybe it's another Fink car-based rib. (laughs) Shut up, I'll buy another one. (laughs) Fink just got there and they were were giving away his car. Like, mate, what are you doing? So this montage is being read by Vince, Savage, and Heenan. And Savage and Heenan have, have all the convincing level of the South Park kids when they had to read the essays about the evil coffee company. When he did, the, when he did the commercial, Vince is all into it. The Savage and Heenan are all just kind of like non-committal. Like we have Lee Ralzon from the New York Giants, who's not a famous player, wearing some unusual jeans. He fails. Bob Backlund goes for a slam. He fails. It appears for all the world like he's attending the. To a check, Yoko's gonna for a hernia. <laughs> he looked like he was being very medical. We get Peter Tagliannetti, who's a hockey player. Hockey players aren't necessarily known for their upper body strength, although they are hard body checkers and such. He also has a 5 o'clock shadow, which looks great. Kind of resembles Paul Rudd, but more athletic. Uh, he fails. Scott Burrell of the Charlotte Hornets, he backed down. Then Big Pop Pump comes out with his Dave Meltzer hair, as you as noted. He smacks Yoko across the face because he's Big Papa Pump, and he fails. It's at this point that Fuji stops Yoko so that he could eat some rice. Because... This is ace. This what a dastardly thing for a bad guy to do. It's a lift me up challenge. Halfway through, he eats rice. That is pure evil. <laughs> I, w- I would have eaten like a pure onion sandwich and just breathe it on the guy. Oh, why was trying to slam me? <laughs> like, Sydney, what food would you eat to make yourself me. heavier to stop yourself being body slammed? I don't know because anything I eat, I just don't get any heavier. Oh, you lucky thing. <laughs> I, I, I think over Christmas, I reckon I've probably put at least three hundred pound back on. <laughs> so we continue. We have Tatanka comes out, and the crowd is doing the uh, Xena Warrior Princess. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's not the crowd. It's one person. It's just it, one it, was... really over the top person who gets it higher was, and higher. It was and higher. so, and it was so like distracting to me. I'm like, at first I thought he was doing it, and then I was like. Oh, that's a fan. Why is like that fan doing that? I like how it's encouragement for Tatanka. <laughs> like, I, I know I'll stereotype what I think he does, and, and and that will spur him on to slam this big behemoth. So he chopped Yoko about four or five times, including one at the top rope, which I didn't know that was part of the contest. So he just had to walk in and try to slam him. But nope, he fails, gets crushed by Yoko, and then summarily dismissed. And then we have Bill Fralick, who just passed away a few weeks ago, unfortunately. Former Atlanta Falcon and Detroit Lion. He got one of Yoko's legs off the ground, which was impressive. I got the impression that Bill Fralick wasn't messing about, and Bill really <laughs> went for it. Imagine if it was a shoot and he slammed Yokozuna. Chris, we got to push him amazing. now. That would have been so good. Fralick, Yoko, and SummerSlam. <laughs> then, then Crush shows up. He got Yoko all the way off the ground, but could not turn him. So at least, you know, Crush, you know, make Crush look strong. And he did look strong. 
And then Savage in his star-spangled Virgil clown outfit tries at the very end. Uh, he can't even budge Yokozuna. So that's it. You know, it's, it, I'd laugh if it ended there. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, right? Before before we get into what happened next, if if you enjoyed it, Justin, and Sid, if you enjoyed this little slice of classic wrestling, um, recently they've uploaded uploaded to the WWE Network the entire oh, yes, thing. Right? And the it entire, is it's like 60-minute show of the Body Slam Challenge. And what really annoys me is that in this, they missed out several contestants, including one, which I'm so upset that they missed out. They missed out. Was it, Do you know who was it is? Was it the jockey? Yes! Was H- Julio Pazua, the, the horse yeah. jockey. He's about four foot nothing. And he came, <laughs> in, he came in in all the horse <laughs> jockey gear and his whip <laughs> Got into the yes, ring, was right. like, "Yeah, I'm gonna have a go with this," and started whipping Yokozuna with his riding crop. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that was the best part of the whole thing. Why did they cut that out? <laughs> it was stunning. This jockey who who's very elf-like in in in, in height and weight, as Tom as Tom explained, he gets in the ring. Of course, he's not gonna do it unless he has like a like a, a crane of some sort assisting him. Yes, he he cannot do it. So he pulls out his riding crop and starts whipping Yokozuna with it. And Yoko, oh my was very, God. and Yoko was very upset by this. It's on the network now. Basically, there's like this there's like this hour and a half special which features all of the Body Slam Challenge and then loads of B-roll of the Lex Express of stuff that they didn't put on the telly, including 10 minutes of just well, no, no. watching the coach now, driving. Now you're getting... Don't spoil how this ends. Oh, so oh yeah, yeah. I mean, because, I mean uh, well, that that might not be related to what happens next. You mean the Freilich Express or the Jockey Express? Or... Well, judging by the reaction from the crowd, I mean the Hogan Express, because that helicopter started landing on the USS Intrepid, and the crowd started chanting Hogan. That's a bit awkward for everybody involved. Yeah, this was kind of a cool moment here. I'm not gonna lie, even though this is kind of cheesy. Vince's voice changes during this voiceover; it becomes more booming and dramatic. When suddenly, out of the sky, a helicopter lands. Also, but it was just like someone like, like like asking for directions, like, "Hey, you know where the other battleship is? That's across the bay." All right, thanks, <laughs> fly off. I'd love it if you landed on the wrong battleship. <laughs> if you landed on the ring and crush Yoko, <laughs> <laughs> like, do I win? <laughs> oh gosh! So out pops, out pops the narcissist Lex Luger, who's now. Who picked out the best red, white, and blue shirt for the occasion? He starts storming the ring. At one point, he pushes Bobby Heenan out of the way to, to spell out his sudden face turn. And, and Luger gives a pseudo patriotic speech and talks about how food. I'm paraphrasing here because I, I, I don't remember the actual verbiage now, but Yoko, he called Yoko like a sushi eating, rice chomping something or other. Which Yoko probably, was probably offended because he's like, I eat more than that. Come on now. Sometimes I have a burger. Exactly. He, he, Luger hits Fuji, throws him to the outside, and then he, and him and Yoko square off. He batters Yoko with the running forearm smash, which was illegal because he had a steel plate inserted. He gets something that vaguely resembles a body slam, and he wins the challenge. I would have laughed if he threw his back out and he couldn't do it, and it would have just ruined the whole thing. Oh, yeah, what petting you would have had to have had a go. Uh, Yes. Jesus, just get crushed back in there. All right, crush is going to try again, everybody. <laughs> Vince cannot put Luger over enough in this video. 
He is the second coming of hot Christ. Really, really went for it. So, so Sydney, your first slice of WWF from 1993. Were you were you bought? Were you sold on the on on Lex Luger as the next big star? I could tell it was very last minute because Hulk couldn't show up or something. Well, it wasn't that Hulk was persona non grata at this point. Oh, uh, okay. But the original I, the original idea was that this was gonna they, they they wanted to keep Hogan on until SummerSlam and do the rematch. And there was rumblings mm-hmm. that this whole thing was going to build to Hogan doing it. And Hogan was going to be the one that slammed him. And that was going to be how Hogan got his rematch. But then obviously, as you say, he, went, he became sort of persona non grata, said, I'm, I'm going to finish up the European dates. So I'm going to go. So they just had to do the, do the hot turn for Lex Luger. Yeah, it, just, it didn't seem legitimate. Like, it seemed like, oh, this person, he used to be a bad guy. Well, now he's a good guy and he's our... He's our American hero, and everyone should cheer for him. I mean, obviously people did, but... Tom, you hear this? She is 19 years old and did not watch this, and she understands it 100% perfectly. It's so true. She... It is. It's, it's... You might as well have had Roman Reigns get off the helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> Roman would have thrown the copter at Yokozuna. <laughs> and the crowd would have booed him for it. Exactly. <laughs> on the USS <laughs> Intrepid on the 4th of July. <laughs> Oh, sure, Barry Yokozuna. You <laughs> <laughs> see, what, what this is like, this is like the old gag where someone's moving in on some guy's wife and he photoshops himself in all the photos uh, on top of the, uh, the existing husband. That's Luger on top of Hogan in all the photos at this point that Vince is inserting. Because <laughs> Hogan is just, Hogan's dead to Vince. Well, you say Let's that, figure... you say that, but later on in the show, maybe it was just sort of without thinking about it. Vince does name drop Hulk Hogan. He does that to make him sound inferior to Luger. Ah, okay. Like, like he's just an afterthought, like like you know, Hulk didn't do it, but hey, Lex did it because Lex is the man. Right, with you, with you. <laughs> Something else I noticed just before we we move on to the actual show. Um, did either of you notice that? The moment that Lex body slammed Yokozuna, he pushed the ref. I did not notice that. What a what a dick move! Just as he gets the ref goes to raise his hand in victory, Luger forces him away from him so he can stand on the ropes and celebrate. Maybe because the referee's shirt was made in China or something. Like, like I'm tired of everything foreign, brother. I mean, I don't, I can't say brother. That's copyrighted. Um, <laughs> dude, well, no, no. All right, come back to me on that one. I'll, I'll come up with something. <laughs> so af- after that star-spangled bit of glory there, we have quite the interesting opening match. The one 2 3 kid versus a very hairy-chested Blake Beverly. Now, Sydney, you know who the one 2 3 kid is, I believe. Yes, I do. And do you- what do you know about Blake Beverly? Nothing. What I do know, his theme tune is the demo mode on a Casio keyboard. That I do know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, very prissy sounding, upbeat, glory style music. It made no sense. No sense whatsoever. And also, didn't the last time we see in in this, the last time we saw the Beverly's on Monday Night Raw, they they turned their back on Money Mm. Incorporated's evil money. So they're good guys now. But Blake Beverly is very much not a good guy in this match. No, no, no. Um, you see, Sid, the Beverly brothers were a tag team. They, 
were in WWE for about two years. Bo Beverly and Blake Beverly, and their gimmick is that they were stuck-up kids from Ohio. I'm going to say kids, I mean guys in their 30s. <laughs> um, they had one of the most devastating finishing moves ever called the Shaker Heights Spike, which I showed Tom a video of a jobber taking that move incorrectly and nearly dying as a result. That was horrible. That is Remember that, Tom? Yeah, even Vince on commentary was frightened because he was fearing a lawsuit. <laughs> But by this point, Bo is gone from the company, and Blake is kind of just straggling around in the mid-card. It'd be like if if Connor from The Ascension left WWE, and Victor uh, just hanging okay. around just, do, just doing jobs on the way out before they used him up. Mm. Similar this thing happened here, with Deuce and Domino back in 2000 and whatever. 2000 and insert date here, Tom, in the editing process. In 2000 and something, where Domino left... So you just had a guy called Deuce. Oh, okay. And they announced him as Deuce. <laughs> Weird times. Did you call I thought you called him Deuce at first. <laughs> I mean, Which, uh, neither's really that complimentary. Has a very vinegary attitude. Very sour. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, yeah, it, it, it's just Blake Beverly is really out of place as a singles guy. Mm-hmm. Although one two three kid here, he uh, he's, he's got his awesome music, that awesome bass guitar theme he had on the Raw video games. He debuts that for the first time. And new ring gear. So I'm presuming that the ten thousand dollars that he stole from Razor Ramon the other week, he's used it to get music sorted and ring gear. Uh, yes, he paid off Jim Johnson to give him something with a lot of bass, please. He shakes hands with Vince and Savage on the way to the ring. They're endorsing him. They should have had him slam Yokozuna, actually, now that I think about it. Oh, my God. That would have been hilarious to watch. Do you notice how terrified he looks? And I, 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 I don't know whether you saw this as well, Sid. Like, he looks genuinely frightened at one point, where he's posing with some guys in the front row, and he looks terrified. Yeah, he, he kind of did. I mean, to, like, compare it to something recent that I remember... Uh, it looked a lot like Nicholas once he got tagged in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> but height and weight, it's about the same as well. Yeah, for sure. But one thing Nicholas had that, that Sean Waltman does not have here is eyebrows. And Braun Strowman yeah. as his mate. That is true. I believe Kid had his eyebrows shaved off as a rib by somebody. I'm not sure who. But when oh, it, Really? When, well, if you look carefully, it looks like he's permanently surprised like he'd just seen a rat or something. I think he just looks a little bit shell shocked all the time. <laughs> well, maybe he's a pretty laid back guy. He also used the money, so, I do believe, to unlock new moves in WWE's UK19 because he's got loads <laughs> of good stuff in this. Oh yes, yeah, this this is stuff that Sid. I know you've watched a lot of wrestling since 2009, and you've seen a lot of Daredevil high flyers. You've had your fill of Seth Rollins matches, Finn Balor, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. This this stuff was all novel for 1993. Sean Walton was doing stuff that people who only watched WWE had never seen before. This was insane. He gets a baseball slide after dropkicking Blake outside the ring. Back inside, Blake tries for a back body drop in midair. Instead of flipping, Kid goes vertical and dropkicks Blake Beverly out of midair. That's a Sami Zayn special, that do... is. I forgot he used to do that. Mm-hmm. 
Meanwhile, Savage and Bobby Heenan talk about a blimp crash. For some I was so confused about that. <laughs> they love at this point. They love Sid. They love topical references to the 90s. And I'm really glad you're confused because most of the time, because it's all like American topical references, I ain't got a Scooby-Doo what they're talking about. So I always have to ask Justin what any of it means. And, I, and, and I'll sometimes... ask the same here. What, what blimp crash? I, I, I don't effing know. I have no idea. <laughs> see, 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 what would happen is Bruce Pritchard discussed this. Vince wanted his show to sound topical. Like they weren't just a dumb wrestling show. that They were on top of what was going on in the news also. So he would have Bruce and a few other people read through the newspapers that morning and pick out stories that Vince could talk about on the air. Just to show that not only were they live, but they were also a smart show. <laughs> so once in a while, you'd, you'd have Vince references that referencing stuff that was like political or financial, like that had nothing to do with wrestling at all. That a nine-year-old kid like me at the time would have just gone right over his head. It's like whatever. I'm, I'm sure to watch one, two, three kids do awesome moves on Blake Beverly. I don't know what you're talking about. Blake Beverly, I think in this was excellent. Played his role well. He was, he was just a bully heel that was doing some power moves on kid, like the point where he he hits a vertical suplex and drops kid's tailbone right on the top turnbuckle. That was cool, like that. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure it was no fun to take, but hey. It, think, it looked looked great. I think that we're in this hodgepodge time where we've got some guys from the late 80s still knocking about, and we've got a few guys that we're trying to we're transitioning with in the, in the mid into the mid 90s. Blake Bev. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Like, compared to some of the dross on this roster, he's all right. Like, I get behind a heel Blake Beverly push. Yeah, I mean... There's he, worse on the roster have a whole at the moment. Charisma. There is much worse. Bo had some good matches with the Steiner brothers and a few other tag teams. But really, he, he, he was just... He was a solid guy to have around. And it's a that he left not long after this. At one point, even Bobby Heenan gets in on the whole lack of eyebrows on kids' part. He says, Blake Beverly knocked the eyebrows right off of him. 
I don't know who it was that shaved it off. I, I think he did reference it in a shoot once that his eyebrows were shaved off by somebody. Because I, I remember very vividly his his Hasbro figure that came out the following year. Packaging had his up, head and upper body on it, and it, and it wasn't his shaved eyebrow face. So he looked very unusual on, on, on the cover of it. Did his figure so, have uh, eyebrows? Or did they did, the, did they literally take the eyebrows off the figure? No, no, the figure, I think, had eyebrows. Oh, got it. His, like, his likeness on the packaging had the eyebrows uh, shaved off. Right. It was, it was, he was photographed around that time, whatever whatever photo shoot that would have been. So Blake Beverly decides to get in on the act of being Lucha Blake. <laughs> and he misses a second rope dive to the outside. Sean Waltman, because he's completely insane, goes up to the top rope and hits a corkscrew sent onto the floor. He twists in the air and hits Blake across the head with his back and wipes both of them out. And as we were saying, in twenty in twenty nineteen, that sort of thing is like, oh, that means they're going to a break, whatever. But in nineteen ninety three, that's like, what is this? It was ridiculous. It was a jump out of your chair move in that era, and it should be today if it wasn't so overdone. Blake gets this really awesome counter where kids he where kid leapfrogs over him and then tries the Jimmy Snooker reverse leapfrog. But Blake catches him around the waist and just back suplexes him over. Blake misses the top rope move. Kid goes up top. Dive on the top to the back of the head. One, two, three. Just like the name. Great match. Insane match for the time. That was a bit of a revelation. What do we reckon, Sid? Did we enjoy our first full match of 1993? Yeah, I, I thought it was. I thought it was pretty good. I mean, obviously, I've seen. I, obviously, since I'm a m- more newer generation, not all of the moves like wowed me, but I understand like mm. this stuff was all new for 1993, so it was it was cool to see. I mean, I because I because like I had seen like certain things from like like the famous stuff from older WWF, and like I never saw those moves, so it's mm. always really cool to see it. And I just think Sean Waltman did really good in that match, and. Honestly, what was the name of the other guy? Blake Beverly. Blake Beverly was also very good. Mm. Very simple assessment, but I, I, I concur with it. Of course, this will be the real beginning of, of Sean Waltman in WWE, whose career would peak in 2019 when he turned up on NXT with his dog. <laughs> yes. Which has been the highlight of my time as a Sean Waltman viewer. <laughs> he actually had the dog at the Hall of Fame this year. We were sitting next to Razor in the crowd. He did, didn't he? <laughs> oh, he was why hasn't that dog got a show on the network yet? Come on! He had it at uh, StarCast, and uh, I got to pet it. It was awesome. <gasps> You've met the dog! I've met the dog. Oh, my God! You, like, you're now the most famous person on this podcast ever. You've met <laughs> Sean yeah, Waltman's dog. Take that already, Reynolds. Take that already. <laughs> what, was, what was Sean Waltman's dog like? Did he, he didn't big league you, did he? Uh no, well he was he was just he was just really cute. Uh, and I got to pet him, and he he just looked really happy. And Sean Waltman was he all right? <laughs> Sean Waltman seemed like he was. I mean, like upstaged the, by a dog. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> it was funny at the Hall of Fame when he, because he actually tweeted from like the second or third row wherever he was sitting during Hillbilly Jim's speech, which went on forever. And he tweeted, get Kane out here. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that. Poor hillbilly. He tried. So we come to a point in the show that Sydney texted me about last night through Facebook Messenger when I was at when I was out enjoying my Sinbad show. I can't wait to talk about men on a mission. Way. And this is the first raw appearance 
of Mo, Oscar, and Mabel, the triumvirate known as Men on a Mission. And it's a brief vignette in the form of a rap music video. Oscar's rapping, Mabel and Mo are kind of shamming on in the background. All right, Sydney, t- tell us about what, what you thought of Men on a Mission. This was the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> Welcome to 1993. That's the reaction we have most weeks. It was just, it was so cringy. I was like, oh my god, this like, I can tell this looks like an 80s, 90s music video. I can tell that this looks stupid, and I can tell that they're barely trying. Well, see, I'll let you know that Mabel, in the back, throwing up those signs, was giving it his all in that. Mabel would later become Big Daddy V, Viscera, yeah. and several several other characters, and he won the King of the Ring two years later. I want to take that DeLorean, go back to that point in time, and tell everyone, hey, in two years, that big guy, he's going to be the King of the Ring. And watch everybody laugh. A lot of wrestling uh, you can base on the, like a sliding scale of how much your face glows red when your parents walk in whilst you're watching it. Um, and this is one of those things where if I was a wrestling fan at this point, because I did drift off as a wrestling fan in the early 90s, if I was watching this at home and my mum and dad had walked in, I probably would have died a little bit inside. And I think they probably mm-hmm. would have questioned a lot of my life choices. I don't think I'd be able to watch wrestling if they saw that. <laughs> the thing is, Sid, that these two were actually unbelievably absolute badasses before this, before this moment. How? Yes. Right? They, they wrestled were... in the PWF and the USWA. Justin, you know this as well, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yes, they were a team called the Harlem Knights. They were, I think, Nelson Knight. Which was familiar. They were, well, not the uh, Eddie Murphy movie. This is the tag team, the Harlem Knights. This is, um, I think Mabel was Nelson Knight. And I can't remember what Mo was. He would have been Bobby like Robert Knight. Knight. Oh, yes, Bobby Knight, named after the college basketball coach. Um, so they were like just like like two massive street brawlers, just two guys you wouldn't want to mess with under any circumstances. And as the story goes, at WrestleMania nine, Oscar, who's the manager of the group, attended the show as a fan, and you actually see him in the crowd at the end when Bret's telling Hogan to go get Yokozuna. He's right there in the front row. After the show, somewhere in the hotel, he happened to run across Vince. Vince was with with uh, Randy Savage. He introduced himself, and he cut a freestyle rap right in front of Vince. And Vince was so impressed that he hired him and tried to find a role for him, which was managing the Harlem Knights. Even here, even so hearing the heartwarming it, backstory of Oscar, is it still the worst thing you've ever seen, Sid? Yes. Excellent. Good, well, they're coming, whether you like it or not. They're on their way, and they're, they're, they're bringing power of positivity, and they're cleaning up the streets, and they're making a difference. Good on them. <laughs> Oh, Manhattan Center! That's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you dare be sour. Clap for a team that will never win the belts and feel the power. They did win the belts. Oh, yeah, one time by accident. Still counts. (laughs) We're on a mission. Yes, we are. Dum. Dun 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 dun. Oscar, see if Oscar had a trombone, he wouldn't have had this. Would that segment have been improved with Oscar just playing the trombone? So then we have Luna Vachon cutting a promo over the back of Batman Bigelow's head. Luna Vachon I mean, in full-on laryngitis squeal is 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 insane. It sounded like it hurt to listen to her voice, and it hurt for her to talk in that voice. 
It's what she did naturally. Iconic to hear Luna Luna Vachon talking. Yeah, Luna was so in character, it was great. Seemed there was like a and... particular line that Luna Vachon will do in Raw in 1998 uh, regarding Sable, where she says, um, I, might, I might get the first brand wrong. If I'm wrong, do tweet me at Tom Campbell, where she says she's going to take Sable's Umberto Gianni face and turn it into an Andy Warhol original. It stays with <laughs> I... me as a brilliant line. <laughs> I remember it was Estee Louder. Estee Louder, thank you. <laughs> Don't tweet me. Estee Louder's face. It turned into an Andy Warhol nightmare. That's it. Original. Bam Bam Bigelow versus Jumpin' Joey Mags. Oh, <laughs> now, Sid, you are in the presence. And if you are listening at home, you are in the presence of Jobber Legend in Joey Mags. <laughs> he has lost to everybody and anybody in the wrestling world. <laughs> Although not since 2006, because he passed away at that point. I know, but his legend, you know, if he was still with us now, he would be losing to Alistair Black on a regular basis on NXT house shows. <laughs> I would be thrilled to see that. So this was a very, very short match. Because I, I think with the opening video and the lengthy kid Blake match, we're a bit pressed for time here. So Vince notes the garment on Luna's arm, just long black sleeve. Apparently she had broken her wrist week before facing Sherry on a house show. Bam Bam whoops Joey Mag's ass, hits two corner avalanches, and that's it. Done. Not even a minute not even a minute went by. Do you reckon that it was... do you reckon it is just because they've badly timed this show? Because as 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 we'll watch it, I do get the impression that there's some bad timing during this show. And again, like in, in two thousand nineteen they've got timing of a wrestling show. Although it should be shorter, but that's that is a, an ongoing discussion. But they've got the timing of everything down to a fine art. And it's so fun to watch these shows from 1993 where they're still figuring out how to do live telly, basically. And they're getting it wrong on a fair few occasions. Uh, yes, yeah, so Vince, um, I think he wanted to go on with Luger a bit longer in the opening. And it was starting to border on Bleeding Gums Murphy singing the national anthem. Mm-hmm. That by the time, that by the time he... He was done uh, dropping all of his fluids. It would have been like 946. Like, all right, just send Taker out then. So we just jump right to the next match. It's Undertaker versus Head Shrinker Samu, who I'm trying, trying to recall what his relation is to the Usos. If Rikishi's their father and Samu's Rikishi's cousin, I guess he's like their second cousin or something? Second cousin twice removed, I do believe. Okay, so Samu is part of the very vast Anawaii wrestling family. There's a lot of them. Really cool when Taker made the entrance here and had the lone spotlight on him. It was, was kind nice. of a, uh, I mean, for a very small building where they have very limited opportunities of what they can do with, uh, you know, like obviously no pyro, but in terms of creative entrances, that's actually pretty awesome. Yeah, Although they the made it ever... feel they made it feel like it was a, a, a spooky time when the Undertaker walked out. Although his best intro for a small building ever was at the Royal Albert Hall for that show in '91. When he had the Phantom of the Opera play him out. That was wonderful. That is part of Royal Albert Hall folklore. Yes, because Undertaker deserves all the gravitas in the world. So, so, still no the, so the story is that Undertaker's urn is gone. Mr. Hughes has got it. Paul Bearer has been uh, beaten up. And Bobby Heenan is spinning this yarn that uh, the Undertaker is now weaker without Paul Bearer. He may be weaker, but he's doing wrestling moves now. This as, as is Evans it. This I match. don't think he's getting weaker. I think he's becoming normal. 
because <laughs> we see him break out a drop toe hold and a drop kick, which is peculiar. And I reckon if if we don't get his urn back in about five months, he's going to be walking out to the ring in just his pants, doing that little job of run and high fiving the front row. <laughs> He's gonna show up in sweatpants and like a tank top, like like a gold gym tank top. Him got and back Joey Mags are gonna cap. be hanging out backstage and go. It's it's too late. He's too far gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't blame you for losing to those avalanches. I mean, those are deadly. I mean, forty seconds though. It's, I, I would go. I would go on at least a minute, Joey. <laughs> exactly. So Bobby Heenan gives us this bizarre line that Paul Bear's in Mobile, Alabama, robbing graves. Why Mobile? I don't know. Yeah, I didn't get that. I wasn't sure whether I missed a meeting. It's like, why is he a grave robber now? I don't know, but it's kind of funny to put your Paul Bear digging up graves. Of course, Paul Bear is probably a better announcer than some guys named Graves, but that's hey, hey, that's <laughs> a good hey, joke. Hey, what's that? That's what a good joke. That. Home? <laughs> why don't you talk to Dean? Are you turning heel also? Uh, I would say though, I do like Corey Graves. Can you imagine if Paul Bear had hair like Corey Graves? That would be wonderful. John, John, John. I want punk rock Paul Bear. Right, yeah, John, with te- John. With our John, Photoshop, mate. Man. Right, we need Paul Bearer with Corey Graves' hair. Robin Graves. <laughs> uh, Sid, John is is our head of Photoshop for the podcast. Oh, fun. So what happens is John Eiley, who I think lives around the corner from me, I'm pretty sure we walked past each other the other day, because um, he tweeted me, said, I think I've seen you. I was like, oh, yeah, I was just there. So I think John lives around the corner. So hi, John. Um, John, <laughs> if you could do us, Paul Bearer with Corey Graves' hair, Grave Robin in Mobile, Alabama, um, and a dragon, that'd be great. Thank you. <laughs> Sid, is there anything well, you want again... photoshopping while we're here? Is there any, is there, is there any particular image that I'm, you'd like photoshopping? I'm fine. I won't give him more work. No, he, he loves it. He loves it. He, I mean, he normally has an hour off from from the 37 jobs that he does to listen to this podcast with Photoshop open. He loves it. It's fine. Well, if you think of anything, shout well, out. Okay. What it also needs, he has to be robbing the grave of someone associated with Renee Young as he's getting answers about Dean Ambrose because he's oh, being way okay. too intrusive. Uh, he needs to be robbing the grave of great Auntie Belinda Young. <laughs> Um, in Mobile, Alabama, um, I feel like Hardcore Holly should be there. Who? Hardcore Holly. Because he's from there, isn't he? Yes, he's buying a race car. (laughs) Okay, Bob's going buying a car. Um, He's he's leading a funeral procession in the race car. Yeah, okay, okay. You're writing all this down, John. (laughs) (laughs) He's leading a funeral procession in the race car. There's a dragon in it as well. Hey, look, Taker's Wrestling Samu. How about that? Anyway. <laughs> Just give John a second to write all that down. Okay, carry on. We get the other awesome moment from the show, which is Undertaker staring at Alpha, which is a match. Because Alpha is frightening if you were aware of Sydney. Alpha mm. being for Samu. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> Samu gets knocked to the floor one point. And Alpha smashes him in his head in the ring steps to wake him up. Then he headbutts him. I like that. And Bobby that was, that notes, was a nice little bit. And, and Bobby Ina says, that's their go pro. A good headbutt. It's probably more effective and less illegal than Ica Pro. <laughs> that should have been a commercial. Like, like, like Sammy's in the gym, Alpha headbutts him, then kicks him. And he goes, you gotta watch it. At the very end. 
Headbutt Capro. John! John! <laughs> Headbutt Icapro. Uh, that's all we're going to give you. Headbutt Icapro. You can be creative with that one. I'm sure it tastes better, too. Take Is that a doggo I can hear? It's called old school. Yeah, John, if you want, every time you hear my dog, you can uh, you can Photoshop a dog barking. John, put a dog in there. <laughs> what kind of what kind of doggo is it? Pomeranian. Pomeranian, Jono, John, Pomeranian. It's hooked in. We're adding the dog in Paul Bearer digging. Okay, add that to Paul Bearer digging. <laughs> so back to the match. Taker hits old school. Old yet. He was still in his 20s at this point, if you can believe that. Wow. What's Taylor that? gets super kicked outside of the ring. He would have been 28, I believe. Oh, jeez. So Taker goes in the sit-up mood. But eventually he has problems doing that because Samu's beating is so sustained and there's no urn to draw power from. Samu gets a diving headbutt. And because he's, and because he's dumb, he's not a smart character, he, he doesn't go for the pin. He attempts a second one. And we get this really awesome visual where Samu tries a second diving headbutt and Taker times his sit-up just right so Samu hits the mat where his head would have been and Taker's now back in the zombie mode. Chokeslam hits. And Randy Savage, who's been a good boy for most of the show, says, 14 feet up in the air! <laughs> How long are Undertaker's arms? Stretch Taker strong. Oh, my God. Jump! <laughs> Jesus Christ. Stretch, Armstrong, Undertaker. That, that's all you're getting. Do not run from me. His arm goes around the corner and grabs you. That'd be more frightening. I'll leave it with you, John. I'm not going to overload you for this one. Just the, the concept is stretch, Armstrong, Undertaker. You go. <laughs> the tombstone finishes. It's a good little match. I think it told a really nice story about how the Undertaker is potentially... Like, there's cracks in the Undertaker's armor now that he hasn't got Paul Bearer and the urn there. Yeah, it, it's very basic because he has these two monsters. He has a face in Mr. Hughes and uh, Giant Gonzalez. And if I think that was part of the plan was to have him lose his power so he'd have to wrestle more. And Because if he can wrestle more, then maybe he can get something good out of Giant Gonzalez. If you, can get, if you can get something good out of Giant Gonzalez, you're doing all right. Sydney, what did you think of this match? I thought it was pretty good. Um, I like Taker, so it was cool to see him wrestle. Uh, I thought it was kind of cool, like how it was like, ooh, he's becoming human because he can't sit up. Oh no! But um, I mean, I, I get the story. So, but I, I thought it was pretty good, and there were a few few nice spots. Yeah, he wasn't quite midlife crisis Taker where he bought a motorcycle yet. <laughs> That's my favorite Undertaker. I love Limp Biscuit. He's just like your embarrassing dad during 2001, 2004. It's a lovely time. <laughs> if you kept Biker Taker into the mid 2000s, like, what song would he listen to? After Limp Biscuit became passe, I'm going to get Nickelback. Oh, Look God. at this photograph. Every time I do it, makes me laugh. Undertaker coming out to Nickelback. That that makes me a bit a bit ill. He would have jumped the shark on the bike. <laughs> he'd have jumped off the he'd have jumped off the road on the bike. So Vince tried. He definitely segues. <laughs> I gotta ask Sydney about this now. Vince segues Taker's win into a, a plug for WF Mania, which is a Saturday morning show. 
Now, Sydney, did you see this ad for WF Mania with Todd Pettengill in it? Yes, I did, unfortunately. Did it make you want to crawl up inside yourself and die? Like it does yes, every time it, I it watch made it. Me, it made me want to slam my head into a wall until I couldn't remember the segment. If Michael Cole still had his soul and still had energy inside his body, he'd be what Todd is here. Oh, just God. Total... He probably would, wouldn't he? <laughs> just total spastic annoyance. Todd would have his moments, but really, he was just... He was the the antithesis of what you wanted to see as a wrestling fan. But Vince thought this was cool. But then I guess what Vince thinks is cool is a is a is a whole different. It's not cool. No. <laughs> Sid, if you can believe this, Todd Pentengill is still a radio personality today in New York City. Oh my God! Please tell me he's better. It's fine because the better part of that too, Scott Shannon went to WCBS, so that's fine. <laughs> I will show you the song parody he did to Sexy Back. It's about taco meat. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> and I only heard that because Opie and Anthony riffed on him one time. Oh, geez. Well, not just the one time. Other times also. And in return, I'll show you my pictures in the WCBS studio where Scott Shannon now lives, where I visited a few years ago. <laughs> Good old Scotty. Love him. So we go to Vince interviewing a not quite yet humbled Yokozuna, him and Mr. Fuji. Once more, this is why they brought in Jim Cornette to speak for Yoko eventually, because Mr. Fuji, as much as I loved the man, just could not get it done. This was the issue. There was some big story to tell in this bit, and it was kind of down to Vince to go, oh, wait, so are you saying that Lex Luger's body slam didn't count? It was like Lassie. <laughs> What's that, Lassie? Some boys trapped down a well? Because like they were... Here's the thing. They were saying that... What? I stole Mr. Fuji throwing the kids down the well. <laughs> John! Fuji! Fuji! John, we need Mr. Fuji as Lassie. <laughs> I swear to God, if it's a freaking dog with Mr. Fuji's head. There you go. There you go. Sid's put her order in. She wants a dog with Mr. Fuji's head. I don't know why I'm laughing at this so much. <laughs> You're like dying. <laughs> Because Fuji's an asshole, and he'll tell you he is. <laughs> Fuji, so anyway. Fuji is a sort of Fuji would be the sort of lassie that would see the kids in the burning in the burning hut, because he's, because he's and wouldn't tell anybody. <laughs> he would just run off with their stuff. <laughs> What's that, lassie? The, the boys are safe and well somewhere else. <laughs> the dog has to have a bowler hat, also like like old school Fuji. Okay, dog has to have a bowler hat, John. <laughs> the true hero of the podcast is John Eiley. John, yes. dog needs a hat. John's the MVP. So, Fuji claims that the body slam does not count because it was a hip toss. Now, a hip toss would is actually more impressive. I'm just, I think it's funny how they're going, oh, he only did a hip toss. Do you know how much more energy it takes to hip toss Yokozuna? <laughs> All he did was hurricane run him off of a ladder. <laughs> it's not a body slam. <laughs> We get this great visual of Yoko grunting at the camera with his eyes bugged out, which is just horrifying. It was. Because Yoko is a massive man. Crowd chants USA, and Vince has this big smile on his face, like, like, like a friggin' little kid. Like, yeah, this is working. Yeah, Fuck I, I wrote down out. Vince's smile in my notes, because he's thinking, the catching, this is all my money. <laughs> We're going to sell out Pontiac next year for Yoko... Yoga versus the Luger. Oh my god. That is what he's thinking? 
That's the terrifying idea. A Fushi issues an open challenge. And who should answer it but Crush? Oh, it, yeah. And his wonderful, glorious mullet. This man this is a dream. The... Sid, have you had much experience with the work of Brian Lee throughout your, your young wrestling career? Or Brian no. Adams. Oh, Brian Adams, sorry, not Brian Lee. Yes. My apologies. No. Yes, he's summer 69 guy. <laughs> oh, that guy. And, <laughs> yes, there's, there's two Brian Adams. One was scarier than the other. Uh. I don't know the one that was scary. Well, yes, he wrote pro- Summer '69. Um, and <laughs> Brian Brian Adams. Um, so Brian Adams' crush would just would be a part of wrestling for for oh gosh, well over a decade because he was he was mm. in Demolition. Hey, Nation of Domination. He uh, was Hawaii, Happy Hawaiian Crush. He was Evil Japanese Crush. He was Crush that had, came in five flavors, pretty much. He was like life flavors. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he always retained the name Crush. Wow. Pretty much, except, except when he was in WCW and he was Brian Adams. He was part of a team called Chronic. He was even part of the NWO briefly. Oh, that's part of the cool. B, part of the B team with uh, Kurt Hennig and Scott Norton and a bunch of other guys. But yes, he was a big scary man whose finishing move at this point was to crush your skull between his hands. Ouch. Was to do, was to do the great collie two-handed claw hold and just squeeze like he was chasing four. He's on Friday the 13th. Although he never actually crushed anybody's head. That, that would have been, well, too messy for the time. Mm-hmm. But, but he comes out and answers the challenge. Fuji's apprehensive because Crush almost slammed Yokozuna, so he's obviously a very powerful man. But Yoko is defiant. He will wrestle Crush next week for the WWF Championship. And Crush next. says, when opportunity knocks, it only knocks once in a while, and I'm here to kick the door in. Surely if it's knocked, they'll let you in. Like, you don't then need just to ruthlessly batter the door down. Well, you'd think that. Well, if someone doesn't answer within two seconds, you're more than welcome to knock a door down. Yeah, but they're they're (laughs) suggesting that that it's knocking and and they'll let you in. I don't know. There was just something about... about, It just felt like you'd over-egged the phrase a little bit, and it just made me chuckle. Yeah. It's just crushed way. Like, like he knocks politely at first, like, "Oh, it's, it's somebody docile," but then he knocks the door down. No, it's not docile. It's crush. Docile was his tag team partner in the nineties. <laughs> here, here comes the crush. Here comes the docile. Docile is, is a wonderful. John, no, I'm only kidding, John. Don't worry, you got enough. You got enough going on, mate. <laughs> we get this weird bare bones SummerSlam ad with with Mean Gene talking through a voice deepener. It's not your typical old school, very colorful SummerSlam ad. It, it's it's very stark, very MTV-ish, sort of stripped down, stripped mind a little bit. It felt like it I'm was trying guy. to be very trendy. Yeah, and uh, it just well, it hasn't aged well. Let's put it that way. It is summer. This event is so hot. We're doing it at the end of the summer, and you can't see it. <laughs> like, okay. watch it or. Watch it or not, whatever. We're all just floating garbage anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that would that would have saved it if they said that at the end. <laughs> we got Kurt Cobain and Eddie Vedder to do this ad. And it's at this point our, our... where um, the advert aired, and I looked at the time and I went, okay, that's pretty much done. And I remember getting up, thinking I'm going to go make a coffee, finish off my notes. And then out comes, out, out comes Mr. Perfect. You're yes. really going to squeeze in another match here. We sure are. Mr. Perfect. 
Kurt Hennig is going to take on the father of Guy Fieri, Brian Costello. Whose most memorable match during his time in the WWF was against Andre the Giant, March 1988, in which he lost to a headbutt within okay. like 10 seconds of the match. Well, it's an Andre headbutt. Those things are fatal. It's true. <laughs> Andre's got a head like a freaking cannonball. He did have a massive head. Yes, he did. Acro McGalley will do that to you. Will so he? Brian That's Costello. not very nice of him. <laughs> so, so Brian Costello, <laughs> who has noted, is basically just Guy Fieri with a mullet. He was like your typical 1980s, early 90s pro wrestler. Like, like he is the... He's the archetype of that. I could tell. Before this match, Mr. Perfect does something very dickish. He takes the Rosati ring girl and sticks his gum to the lens of her glasses. I didn't see that. Yeah, it, was, it was subtle, but it did happen. And the crowd I would have been so much more mad about that because I have glasses, and that's annoying. <laughs> well, kind of inside that please don't tell me someone's done that to you before, though. No, nobody has done that to me before because I'm a nice person. Nobody has dared to do that. Oh, yeah, because nobody's ever messed with a nice person before. No one's ever thrown their trash on... <laughs> no one's ever thrown their trash on Mr. Rogers' lawn before. Like, but he's a nice guy, so... He would there. mess you up anyway. Yeah, Mr. <laughs> Rogers is a scary man. Don't mess with Mr. Rogers. But, but, but alas... It's a very short match because we are very pressed for time here. That opening video, whew, that was a doozy. He does work in the running leap frog and drop kick combination, gets a hard chop, and then just pulls him in the middle of the ring. Now you're going to see a perfect plex. And sure enough, we see a perfect plex. One, two, three, and that is it. It was short, but really harsh. Like, just the only handful of punches that we saw were just really, really heavy. Well, see, see, it was Brian Costello's fault that the show ran long. Because he's the one that, that, that edited the video for the opening part. So Kurt Hennig was taking it out on him. Brian. Not really. It's like it's like you made that package way too long because I'm sure this match could have been a little better at least. Like even mm. maybe giving the jobber like a second to even do a punch or something. But, I mean... It was fine. It was a squash match. It happens. That should be the tagline for Roth today. It was fine, but it went way too long. <laughs> and that was so. Then we had the ad break. We had well, we, a spot for a commercial break, and we came back. And the final shot we see is of the slam heard round the world from our new hero, our new leader, our new our new god, uh, Lex Luger, Larry Pole, dropping Yoko. Kent Brockman has the Hail Lex sign next to him on the news. One thing, <laughs> one thing I really quickly want to message, mention. It kind of was an afterthought thing, but I noticed it just because I'm I'm from uh, I'm from Michigan, and mm-hmm. I I heard them say that SummerSlam 1993 was going to be in Auburn Hills, Michigan, at the Palace. I right. never knew the Palace had WWE events. They actually did, and they, and they actually had one slam anniversary pay per view for TNA at one point. Really? Yes, they did. I did not know that. That's it terrible local advertising mind. if you never knew that. <laughs> Summer, SummerSlam 1993 was actually a really good show in spite of itself. 
there's a lot of dumb stuff on that show, but it's still a good show anyway. Mm. We've got um, that to look forward to. Oh, we certainly <laughs> do. That that's about eight weeks out. <laughs> With our new leader, Lex Luger. So we have the dawn of a new era on this episode of Monday Night Raw. Sid, uh, tell us how you feel after watching Raw from the nineties. And how would you compare it to Raw from off of today? Uh, well, first of all, it was shorter, so that was a lot nicer. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, I felt like there was there was a lot of corny stuff in it, but I'm sure it was, it was fine for the time being. Uh, and I, like, I mean, I liked the majority of it. I thought it was a good show. Um, there was less uh, crap we see on Raw nowadays where it's like, oh, we're going to have, uh, we're going to have... Uh, the show start with this giant promo that takes up, like, all the time, and then we're going to have something about Dean Ambrose not liking Baron Corbin because he's bald. I don't know. But, like, something like that. And just, like, just really... There's there's more dumb things on Raw nowadays that I feel like mm. isn't just because of the time being. It's just because the show's not as... Even though... Even though this was, you could tell this was one of their first raws because it was hard. It was the TV, like the taping seemed like with the the live show and like the commercials going in and out like crazy. It seemed like it was one of the first times doing that. But even with nowadays when there's so many commercials and stuff, it still feels like. I don't know. It feels like a more put together show and like more thought went into it than nowadays Raw. Hmm. So you're saying that today's Raw feels more like just filler in order to fulfill the, the three hour obligation every week than an actual coherent show? Yeah. I mean, there's usually at least one thing that happens on the show that's coherent throughout the whole night. But other than that, yeah, it's just kind of just like, oh, let's throw this match in. Let's throw this match in. And with this, I could tell, like, okay, this is all building up to Lex Luger and Yokozuna and all that stuff. And, like, these matches make sense because SummerSlam's coming up and all that sort of stuff. Like, I remember, I don't remember how long ago it was, but it was, like, it was a go-home show for a pay-per-view. And they literally had nothing building up to the pay-per-view matches Besides, I think it was like a like some sort of battle royale. I can't remember exactly what show it was though. Would, would this be Evolution when they barely built it up at all? Yes, that was it. And they were so busy yes, talking they... about the Saudi the Saudi Arabia show, and no, they barely gave the women time. About it, I seem to remember correctly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is wonderfully ironic to see Vince Vince all pro Americana on the show while. Well. Today we have Crown Jewel and Greatest Royal Rumble and I miss all that, that good stuff. He seemed so yeah, much I, more I into the into the the company, like more more like, hey, I actually love this sport. Nowadays, it just seems like he just wants money. Nowadays, it seems like, and 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 it broke my heart a little bit. Like Vince is old now, mm-hmm. like he's properly yes. old. He did that Santa Claus thing the other week and you could tell it was like i'm doing this in one take and you're gonna put it out it was awful what a way to announce the women the women's tag team titles with vince <laughs> fighting with a fake beard it was yes, so it's, uh... bad it just made me sad because this guy was once like the guy that we heard tonight 
like the Vince McMahon who's, who, who destroyed his vocal cords to make sure that we all knew that Lex Luger was our hero. And then there's Vince on Raw, like with his old man hands, sat there, like fighting with a fake beard, saying, the best ever, John Cena is coming back. It's just old. It made me sad. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh... If you're an Oakland Raiders fan out there, you understand how a once brilliant man could be your leader, and the more he's around, the longer he's around, the more that uh, level of intelligence wears off. And then you see some of the rash decisions that are made and a lot of the eccentricities, and well, you just know. And, and Vince is uh, – he's, he, he's past his peak, let's put, to put it very mildly. <laughs> But the one thing that, that you say, Sid, is what everybody says when um, we've had a, a, a handful of guests on at this point, and we're very grateful that you've got a Burley to, to be involved. Um, but the one thing that a lot of people say is how lovely it is, the fact that these episodes are so short. Like uh, one episode of Raw is like 42 minutes. It's, it's so nice. It's amazing. It's amazing. Whether it's, even, if, even if it's a bad show, you know it's only going to be 42. It's going to be less than an hour of your life. Even a terrible show is but you is still get like you still get, like, the quality of the show. Like, you still get, okay, this show is going to be focused around Yokozuna. This show is going to be focused around some other wrestler. Just, like, you can tell. It's like, okay, at least this is coherent. At least this is leading somewhere. It's not just, mm-hmm. oh, we're just going to throw a match in there because we can throw a match in there. I will say what I like about it, and and you see this with Lucha Underground today, is not everyone's on every episode. So it's like yeah. you're just focusing on, on, on different things on each show so you're not oversaturating people. Like, like, like say, right now, Bret Hart has an issue with Jerry the King of Lawler. That wasn't touched on on this show, but it will be soon enough. It's like how Shawn Michaels and Kurt Hennig have a story. That wasn't touching on this show, but it will be in a future episode. It's it's something that they rotate, you know, the main the main storylines to keep everything fresh. Yeah, that and, that was that's really nice too. Just like not just like oh, let's throw every single person we have on our roster on this show. And then you get like a million rematches. Oh, oh, it's the Riot Squad versus Sasha and Bailey. We haven't seen this three weeks in a row. Yep. Well, we're happy that you've shared 43 minutes of your life with us, Sydney. Thank you so much for being on the Cultolic Classic Raw Review this week. Where can people go to, to be your friend and to, to chat with you on the Discord that all the cool kids do? <laughs> Tell it, just plug stuff. Go for it. Uh, so you can follow me on Twitter at SAZoomer4. And uh, I also have an Instagram, SAZoomer4. I never use it, though. Um, and then on Discord, if you're on the Cultaholic Discord, I'm I'm Sydney S. I'm the one in the green name, uh, and uh, yeah, I don't I don't really know what else to plug. Uh, <laughs> you can follow my brother. <laughs> yes, he has his own podcast, of course. He does. Have, yes, yes, and I'm sometimes on it. Uh, pinned a pro wrestling podcast. Uh, Justin was on it recently. He did very good. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I tried. And yeah, you can find that on like Anchor and iTunes and Spotify and just basically anywhere you can find a podcast and yeah I, and yeah I'm sorry about my dog <laughs> don't apologize for a dog ever if there's one thing in this never. life that you never have to do is apologize for a dog <laughs> we don't deserve dogs and we're honored that we've had a visit from your dog what's your what's your pom what's your pom called her name's Rue Rue the pom we're honored and privileged that you were there 
<laughs> Justin, um, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, just my usual Twitter, JRH writing. Um, Justin loves it when you out. just tweet him stuff. Like if you, whatever you're doing, oh. when you're just going about your day, if you like see uh, see like a, a funny shaped watermelon, or if you've Tom, just had a up. chat with a shut dog, Justin loves he loves his notifications blowing up. I will pull your teeth out and shove them in your eyes. And then I will, <laughs> and then I will tweet you when it happened. He is oh, at I'll, I'll... <laughs> also, I do want to I do want to plug. Um... The WrestleCrap Worst of the Year that I did recently, the annual look back into horror, the 50 worst items of 2018. I got that posted up on WrestleCrap.com. If you want to take a look at that, by all means. Oh, look at you on the WrestleCrap.com. It's a very good list. <laughs> it, is, it is a sensational list, actually. I have skim read it, and it is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and that's about it for me. Just JRH writing on Twitter. Give me a follow. Don't tweet me inanity. Or I will get my revenge one day on you, Tom. At JRH Writing. I'm at Tom Campbell for normal stupidness. We are at Cultaholic. Rue is a Pomeranian who is not on Twitter, but we'll fix that in 2019. Hashtag New Year's resolution. Love you, bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from.